All right, so we're here today, Supreme Court Judge uh, candidate Jim Vazana, and I can tell you I've known Judge Vazana many, many years, uh, even before he was elected a judge, and my brief introduction will be obviously an experienced lawyer prior to becoming a judge, which mm -hmm. all the lawyers can tell who the experienced lawyers are when they become a judge, the way they treat people, the way they control the courtroom, those kind of things. Uh, but just has earned a really good reputation as a family court judge in Monroe County and now running for Supreme Court. And I would say the reason we're really interested in having him here today, he's over at the Monroe County Hall of Justice, been there for years, and probably the judge who smiles the most in the whole, <laughs> in the whole uh, building, just gets along with people, whether they're court staff or lawyers or litigants or whatever it is, has a, a fabulous rep reputation as being a good person. And that's something that we're always interested in. Well, um, I'm humbled by your comments, Mr. Uh, King. Thank so, you. So go, tell us a little about yourself, Judge. Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on today. I appreciate it. appreciate talking to your audience as well, a little bit about myself, my campaign, and talk a little bit about the court system itself. It's something I'm very passionate about. But a little bit, you know, the, the real five-minute or less bullet point of me is I, I grew up just a few miles down the road from here. We're in Rochester, New York, in the city of Rochester. I grew up in the 10th Ward, it's called. It's Augustine, and I grew up on Augustine off of Dewey Avenue and Lake Avenue. Um, you know, my mother and father were both laborers. We had very modest means. And very young in my life, I, I learned the uh, pride of earning a paycheck. Uh, I've done many different things before I even started practicing law. I've, you know, mopped apartment floors, emptied garbage. I worked in construction. I worked as a meat cutter for a meat, local meat market. Uh, favorite job was a bartender. That's how I got through law school, actually. Uh, I went to Aquinas, and then I went to the University of Rochester. From there, I went to the University of Dayton Law School and uh, started my career practicing law here in Rochester uh, for Paulie and Barney. Um, it was my first firm I worked with. Uh, that's where I learned and, and found the love for practicing family and matrimonial law, which also expanded to you know, representing all aspects of family family business, estates and trusts, things of that nature. And then, uh, so who were the, the partners at Pauly and Barney? Ray Pauly and Brian Barney. And uh, well-known attorneys here in, mm -hmm. in town for the folks who don't know. And then you transitioned to another firm after that? Yes, after that I, I went to, I was at Woods Oviatt for a little bit. And then from there I ended up at Chamberlain DeMonda, Oppenheimer and Greenfield, uh, a firm that only been around since 1897, right down in the Four Corners in Rochester, which is, State Street and Main Street, known as the Four Corners. And then I ended up there as the managing partner of the firm, and I was the managing partner for several years. So one faithful night, we were getting ready for a partnership meeting, and one of my partners said, what's wrong? And I was just very irritated a little bit that I had been on trial for several days um, with a judge that hadn't had any private practice experience. I didn't understand and appreciate the trials and tribulations of being a lawyer, but more importantly, uh, the trials and tribulations of actually being a client, an individual, a person that appeared uh, before them and was relying upon them. Because we, we can't forget as a judge, and I know you don't forget when you practice law, um, these are the most important issues people are coming to see us for and entrusting us to deal with. So because I was started a little bit of complaining about that, uh, my partner said, well, why don't you do something about it? And that sort of uh, resonated with me because that's what my mother used to say, plain and simple. Don't complain, do something about it. 
So I started my trek and I ran for family court judge. I was successful uh, being elected to the family court bench. Shortly after that election, I was appointed to the Supreme Court and I'm an acting Supreme Court justice. For the last three years, I've been the presiding justice of the integrated domestic violence part. Now that's, a, that's an interesting part. That's a part that deals with both criminal and civil matters. Uh, I call it an umbrella court. As an example for, for our listeners, if you have a criminal charge and then someone in that same family unit files you know, a custody proceeding or files a divorce action or for that matter even a business dissolution, um, you could be in three, four, five different courts over the course of five different days over several months. Um, it's not very efficient for them or for the, the court system. So we try to bring them under one umbrella for a judge that has jurisdiction to hear all those matters. And that would be in the Supreme Court. Yeah, so you probably don't know this, but uh, about 10 years ago, I was, or I guess more than that now, we get older. Uh, yes, we do. I was the, the DA. But you age very well, so oh, okay. I, I'm not worried about yeah, that. Yeah, thanks. I was the DA in the uh, IDV court for, oh. for a couple of years with uh, Justice Renzi and Justice okay. Doyle. Spent, oh, absolutely. Uh, spent a lot of time in that court, and uh, it's serious work for a judge. There's a lot going on of very... Uh, passionate litigants. I mean, even everyone is, but especially in that courtroom, there's a lot going on. You know, you've got to, it's, <clears throat> I'll, excuse me, I like to say it's a, it's a balancing act sometimes. I mean, you certainly have to protect the family unit. You certainly have to protect the individuals that have been subjected to domestic violence. In the same respects, you have to balance, you know, the children's rights to see possibly the other parent or spouse um, and then, of course, you know, the other spouse or, or individual's rights as well. So it's a balancing act. And you balance it by, you know, living up to just some basic mottos. Um, that is, treat people with respect, dignity, allow them to talk. Uh, I think I give several lawyers heart attacks every time someone says, Judge, I want to say something. I say, okay, but check with your lawyer first. I want to hear it, but check with your lawyer first because we have to protect their rights. Okay. So it's a real um, privilege to have you here for us, I know Bree and I are both excited. We we get the judge on the hot seat. You always, we all want to ask judges all these questions, and yes. so we got some. We got ten or fifteen questions we'd like to ask. I think probably some of our listeners would like to know, like sure. ask the judge. So why don't you run through a few, Bree? So, um, can I just preface that real yes. quick? One, I'm just going to preface by saying, and I know you all know that, but for for our listeners, um, you know, the judicial ethics prohibit me from answering questions that would relate to specific issues of the law because they, they, they and I, I don't disagree with that. Um, one, we don't want to promote forum shopping. So if you know how a judge is going to rule on a particular issue, you're going to wait for that judge and try to get that judge. That's called forum shopping. The second thing is it, it's a violation of the ethics. So, but you ask the question and I'll You can just tell me if you answer. can answer it. All right. I hope I sort it through. I think they're general, just kind of like what you're, Think Do we have like a big a, gong I can hit? Well, I was just going to ask, prior to becoming a judge, uh, were there any judges that you looked up to or enjoyed appearing in front of? Yeah, there, there, there were several judges that I consider to be mentors of mine. Um, certainly Judge Owens, uh, John Owens, Judge Calvaruso, uh, Judge Saragusa. I, I don't want to yeah. exclude others. No, anyone, but, but yes, there, you know, any that you know, you've... Judge enjoyed. Winslow, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I learned a lot from them, and, and, and that's something you have to go in every day, even as a judge. Make it an opportunity to learn something new, learn something new about the person or the law, 
So and those were judges that were always open to that. I got to jump in on that. And, and so you just listed off some of the great jurists and people uh, in our legal community. And I, I'm pretty sure two Republicans and two Democrats. Uh, Is that how it broke down? I, didn't even, that's I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure. So judges get on the bench and they become a judge and they ran as a political party. But I think that's one of the questions. But it was kind of a segue there. You work with Republican and, judge, and Democrat judges every day. How, how does that interplay behind the scenes at the Hall of Justice? The system in the state of New York is designed that for a judge, we, we, a lot of states, let me back up a second, a lot of states appoint judges. Um, New York State does not. New York State requires the judges to, in certain areas. I, down in, I know in New York City they appoint family court judges and city court judges, but upstate anyways. Um, judges have to run for their office. And so that's why it becomes political to that extent, because as we know, our procedure, you have to be in a political party to run. But once you're elected, um, you quickly defrock that, to be honest with you. I mean, you certainly have your principles and your ideologies, um, but you, you defrock the political party affiliation that's only to run. So the courthouse would Never talk about politics, quite yeah. honestly. I mean, we're all working together. Yeah, we're all working yeah. together. It's it really is just about how to best service our constituents, which would be you know the citizens that we're representing. I know that I've seen that, but it's uh, for people who don't. Yeah, don't no, know, I, it's, I agree. Uh, uh, well, you know, you know what? Excuse me, but you know yeah. when they come in, no one asks them what political party they are. Right. Nobody cares. Uh, nobody cares what party you are. No one cares about those issues. It's just. Can you do the job? Can you do well, well, or the litigants themselves? What is the issue? This is what the law is. And I guess I think of it like nobody wants the murderer to go free. And if they're whether, guilty, absolutely. Right. right. Correct. The, the true murder. When I say murder, somebody right. who's guilty, who, who is proven by a jury. Doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. I don't think we, we all have a certain belief right. that the criminal justice system or the civil justice system or the family court system should be fair. And, and you run as a Republican or a Democrat, and I know you're endorsed by the Republican conservative parties. And correct. But well, it just kind of goes off. What makes a good judge? Like what, in your opinion, makes a good judge? Well, I got a lot of opinion on that. How much time <laughs> do we have? We have a, this is like a five-hour episode. <laughs> Give me as long as you want. You know what makes a good judge is someone that can effectively communicate doesn't have to be, you know, in prose. It just has to be able to communicate with the people that are sitting before them. Someone that cares. Someone that wants to hear, wants to make a difference in those people's lives. Someone that actually recognizes that this is the most important reason these people are going to be in front of you that day, to them. Mm -hmm. and, and so you make that your same mission, that this is the most important thing I'm going to do, and that could have impact on this family, this business, this personal injury case, this medical malpractice case, whatever the case may be. And you got to be open to let people talk to you, as I, as I alluded to earlier. You got, you've got to let them talk because they need to feel part of the process, part of the system. You know, I'll throw this out there. You may be, I'm sure it's on your list, but, you know, we talk a lot about sidebars or bench conferences or clearing the courtroom. Um, that happens quite a bit, and it has to happen. And nine times out of ten, we're talking more about either procedural issues or we're talking about how best to you know efficiently carry this case through the process, okay? 
then it's a little more open communication. But in my court, we always go back on the record with the parties there. And, right. and it's kind of ironic because I tell everybody what we talked about. So it's not, you know, we didn't really have to do it, but you know, some, and that's a recognition too, that some lawyers feel more at ease and more open to talk when it's just, just counsel or, or the court. Uh, my experience is I like to speak plain English. You know, I grew up in the country, so I can speak very bluntly. And when you're on the record, there's a way that lawyers talk to communicate. So the record's clear, but sometimes it's sidebar. You can say, judge, this is bull. And you know yeah, from absolutely. experience, like I can just we can just cut to the chase, so we don't have to like make this. And then you because Mr. King does not agree with the appropriate position taken by counsel. I'm going to rule this, and we lawyer it up a little bit. But sometimes you can really you cut be, to the chase. Yeah, you can be blunt and say this is what I'm really after, and you can say mm -hmm. this is what I'm going to rule, and we move real quick that way. So I guess to finish up on your question of what makes a good judge, someone that actually cares and is respectful. Well, I also think, in my opinion, because I'm not an attorney, is that if, oh, I were, yeah, you. <laughs> if, I, if I ever had to appear in front of a judge, I know that I, I would be intimidated. So someone who comes off personable, I feel like, okay, I can connect with this person or this person would understand what I'm going through or what's happening, depending on the situation. So I think you know, that's also what you seem very personable um, is important. Well, and the other, and just to add on something we talked about earlier, you know, the other, the other thing is, as a judge, you've got to recognize that, as we said, and I'm not going to keep repeating myself, but it's the most important issue they're there. Um, and that, you know, we may schedule a court date that today. We may schedule a date today. And we scheduled that two months ago. Well, two months ago, that was a great day. But we don't live in a vacuum. So you, you got to be understanding of that. And I think that comes with practicing law, not only for as a, as a lawyer, but also, you know, when, when it comes to issues of, of the parties. Um, so when coming into a courtroom, because I, I, if you Google, like, what are you supposed to wear when you go into a courtroom? Is there a thing that you, that judges look for if, when someone is walking into a courtroom when it comes to their clothing? Is there some, is there too sloppy? Is there too flashy? What is, is there, does it matter? It doesn't matter, to be honest with you. I mean, you have to dress respectfully, uh, right. and, and I'm not... It's respectful for the state of New York for the office. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I I hope to earn your respect as your as your judge. I mean, you don't get to pick that. It just gets assigned. Um, so I hope to earn your respect as a judge. Uh, but you're, you you got to be respectful to the office. Um, I mean, I don't. As a lawyer, I, I made a mistake years ago. I, I was it was it was a, it was a big case uh, for this family, and they're all big cases for the family. Um, but I represented a farmer out in Wayne County owned lots of apple farms or lots of apple land. And we had to go to trial on different valuation issues. And I asked him, I said, look at when you, um, you got to put a suit and tie on, you've got, this is what you got to drive. I was very in tune to that because we happened to be in front of a judge that was much more strict than other about appearances. You know, don't, you can't wear your work boots. Don't wear your work pants. Don't wear all the things that you're always comfortable in. Put a suit on. You got a Sunday best suit. Because a suit I never wore. So a suit and tie, I don't want to hear anything about it. He came in the first day that and he was on the witness stand. This is all he did. He, oh, if you can't see, I mean, he's grabbing his collar, taking his shirt off, fidgeting. And that's a sign yeah. to a judge that either this individual's not telling the truth, potentially. That, okay. you know, he's not liking the questions, not telling the mm -hmm. truth. 
And I saw that, and I was like, <gasps> Judge, can I take a recess? Sure. I got him off the stand, and we ripped off his shirt and tie. <laughs> so he's got to be comfortable. He was just uncomfortable. He was just he uncomfortable. Was. <laughs> so long-winded way to answer yeah. your question. Come in respectfully dressed. Okay. And But something that you're comfortable in. So you can just absorb what we're trying to uh, talk about, right. assist with. I mean, there, there's several pre-trial conferences before you get to an actual trial. And I think that's a lot of times, you know, people get that summons to appear, for example, in family court on October 20th at two o'clock. And this is your first appearance and you have to be there. So they, a lot of people that don't have lawyers right. or can't afford to hire a lawyer, come in with a lawyer. Um, they think that's their trial date. Unfortunately, they learn quickly that there's going to be yeah. several appearances before that. So if you dress respectfully, comfortably. Kind of dressing of who you are as a person. Like sure. if you are a flashy person, flashy, maybe? To a, to, to <laughs> to a, a degree. degree. To a degree. I, you know? Like, I, I think I, I'm blind I to that, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. I, mean, I, I just find it interesting because I feel like, you know. Respectful. Yeah. Respectful. There, and there's a point where I, I, I love Judge Elliott. And he, he has, he has his own. He's a great guy. And, and he, you can get away with a lot in Judge Elliott's court, but what you cannot get away with is a tank top. And yeah. he says his clerk used to be Mary. Mary, put him on tomorrow, right on the docket. And he would say it, so they would hear, adjourn for a shirt. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then the public defender got wise to the, the thing. Sylvia Lopez was the public defender. Oh, so a good and lawyer. she would keep shirts, but in all different sizes. Hold on, Judge. And she would... Pull it out. Pull it like out. Like at school. Go. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's great. That's the, they don't teach you that in law school, that you'll be shopping for your clients. No, absolutely. They don't. Yeah. There's a lot and, uh, of things they don't teach us in law school. That's, uh, that's a fun Did I answer your question? I hope I did. You did, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, what else do you want to ask? I've, I have a question, though. Yeah, My other question is, is there, I mean, you've been doing this for a very long time is there any yeah i'm not that old (laughs) i have been it's been over 30 years 30 some years is there any case or story that just sticks with you that really is impactful on the bench um it was just a young girl unfortunately uh her parents were non-existent the 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 parents parental rights were terminated i won't go into all that but i had her you know i i was the judge on her case I had to ultimately terminate her parental rights. Um, she got into the, the foster care system. The people that provide the foster care system are wonderful, loving, caring people. Um, isn't anything. There's good judges and not so good judges. There's good foster parents and not so good foster parents. It's any business. Good lawyers, not so good lawyers, whatever. Um, but she just didn't take the, 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 the straight and narrow path. Um, she got in some trouble. So she came into me on the juvenile delinquency proceeding that was subsequent, came about. We talked about it. I let her talk. Um, I've known her I, through the cases that she appeared before me. I've known quite a bit about this young woman. And there had to come a time that punishment was, was put into place. And she, she was a... a a resident of, of a detention facility because of her actions and, and what happened. And she never forgot that. And she actually came back into my court one day, unannounced, no nothing was docketed, mm-hmm. and she came running in, and my court deputies right away were like, whoa, whoa, whoa ma'am, what are you doing? Because now she was a, a young woman, and she held up, judge, look, I got my GED. 
I, I got this. And then she came back again when she got her associate's degree. And then she brought her child back. And it was just to come visit, to let me know, because I stood up for her. I explained to her why she had to go into secure detention. Most of it was for, well, because of what she did, and you have to be accountable for what you do. Right. But also for her own safety. She, she was living, you know, not, not mm-hmm. a very safe life. And I, I got to be honest, that, that made me very emotional. When she yeah. came in, particularly with her child, yeah. and she wanted to hold, have me hold her, and wanted to take a picture, she what she did, it, it was just, and that she wanted to come back to you specifically to show you, like, hey, yeah. this made a difference. This made a difference. A- absolutely, yes. absolutely. And, and kudos to her for go- coming to see you, right, and to let oh, absolutely. you know, you've done that, and and a lot of judges have done that, but I know you've done that same thing for a thousand people. Mm-hmm. And well, they, they, they don't you come hope. You never know. You I mean, hope. you're hearing 10, 20, 30 cases a day, every day. Yeah, more I than mean, that in some days. Right, yes, absolutely. and you added up 150 cases a week, 300 cases a month, 4,000 cases a year, and you're doing the best you can. And, and mm-hmm. I, you don't have to vouch for yourself. I'll vouch for you. You do a good job. Thank you. And uh, you affect people's lives every day. And for everyone who comes to see you, there's 100 who didn't come see you. you you've... I mean, I oh, think yeah. that's part Absolutely. Of the, probably part of the cool part of the job, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, what, um, there's got to be another one from when you were in private practice. Everybody, every lawyer likes to tell war stories. There's got to be, there's got to be one. Yeah, there was one. Uh, th- th- there was one was, it was a, a and the, the unfortunate part is, I mean, I, if you see me smile, it's because it was a, it was good work done by the team of lawyers that were involved in the case. I mean, there's always a winner and loser, unfortunately, um, after a trial. Uh, but ultimately, you know, the ex- ultimately the expense associated with the trial and things of that nature and the wear and tear on it mitigates those potential wins. But it, it was uh, um, a member of law enforcement um, that unfortunately uh, had a we had a big trial for for custody. Um, this was. In Seneca County, it wasn't in Monroe County, and you know I, I walked in. I was like the third lawyer, which is usually a, a death sentence, uh, as being the third lawyer. Uh, but I, you know, just something he said. So there was some synergy between us and his story and all the parties involved, and so I, I agreed to take the case. And we got involved, and ultimately we were successful. Where he wasn't six months earlier, he wasn't even allowed to see his children because of trumped up allegations. Um, but, you know, we stuck together. We stood together. Uh, we, we called the right, we, we had the witnesses. And, and then it was uh, one of those dream cross-examinations you know, of, of the other party. It was a dream cross-examination where the judge just threw his hands up in the middle and said, I think we're all done here, which is a clear indication the judge was done. Mm-hmm. And we did our summations and whatnot, and my client walked out uh, with you know, with full custody, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and you know the rush of winning. Uh, let's talk about it. We're, we're lawyers, practice yeah. laws. We do it for uh, to help people. And the rush of winning uh, was overtaken by the emotions of not only my client but his whole family, and then the kids. And, and he had a couple teenage kids, so they were involved. Unfortunately, more than they should have been because of the other side. And to this day, I st- we still communicate, we still talk. And those kids are like, you know, all of a sudden I was, you know, Mr. Vizana, uh, now I'm Uncle Jimmy. So it's just, <laughs> yes, it, it was a great story. And unfortunately, there's also, 
I mean, I'll be honest, there's also some that you just shake your head at. And that happens too. Yeah. You guys can test to that. It happens yeah. too. Yeah, that's the, that's the other thing about our job. And you think about the lawyers that you respect in the community and, and what's their background. You're, I mean, you talked a little about your background, really interesting, coming up through the city of Rochester, being at a top-level high school. And the thing that nobody talks about is what's your ability to handle adversity as a lawyer? Mm-hmm. You're going to be a litigator. You're going to lose. Oh, and, yeah. And you show me a lawyer who hasn't lost. They haven't done much. Uh, yeah, that's it's, it's, the, it's what happens. Right. I mean, there's, there's two sides, and if you're not able to resolve it, uh, the matters or the issues that brought you together, uh, then there's going to be a winner or loser when it, the court makes its decision. Yeah. That's, uh... And I think a big thing in dealing with the disappointment, and that's sort of why I like to explain my decisions to people. I know a lot of, you know, some judges do, some judges don't. It's personal opinion. Um, I like to explain it because I want them to know where I was coming from. Maybe they could fix the potential issue that was that was the roadblock to me having them be successful uh, for the for a next run or another try. Um, but they walk out knowing why. And I also because I, mean, I love lawyers. I mean, let's not get it wrong. I was one of them. Uh, but I don't want to leave it up to. That. I remember having the challenge of explaining. To a client, this is the decision. Inevitably, they ask, well, why? Why did she rule that way? Well, or why did he rule that way? Like, I have no idea because I disagree with you. We can appeal it. Uh, but I don't, want the, I don't want to put a lawyer in that position. But, so at least the lawyer can walk out and say, you heard him. And I think you in, inherently know the power of the judge and the power of the courthouse. And yeah. people forget. You would think. Uh, <laughs> If we tell our client something, they look at us sideways. If the judge, so I had a case, right? Please. Client relatively difficult. Um, did, we did a really nice job for him. Greg and myself worked together on the case. We got a nice outcome. And they were, they were tough. They wanted the world, and we gave them almost the world. And uh, there's a judge, uh, out, it was out of county. It was down in Livingston County. I said, Judge, can you, can you explain this to these people, what has happened here? He's like, don't worry, I got this. He was a guy who was in private practice, knew what we were going through. He repeated exactly what I just said. The client was wildly happy mm-hmm. because the judge said it. Didn't believe me when the judge says it. Okay, great job. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It happens. Well, and it's got, I mean, being a judge, I'm sure, is not always easy. There's probably times where maybe emotionally what you think is right and then what's the law might like fight each other I'm assuming in some cases and that's got to be hard to go with the law when well I could only use great point you know what I'm saying yeah Yeah. (laughs) great point I I take my my oath to, to, to follow the constitution of the state of New York and the United States of America and follow the laws that our legislator the people vote in assemblymen Assembly women, assembly people, uh, senatorial people that make our laws. I follow those laws. We, I don't legislate from the bench. Okay, my job is just to call balls and strikes. Um, but when you get, it's very difficult at times. I find it very difficult at times, though I do it. Um, in certain criminal matters where the matter needs to be dismissed because the law says it needs to be dismissed, mm-hmm. but 
you've got an inkling that something actually did happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, or the opposite. <laughs> you could flip it, where yeah, like I mean, oh, lo- someone made a mistake, but there's they have to pay the price to a certain extent. You know, you mean sentencing wise? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. You have to hold people. C- I'm just saying I... You have to hold people accountable. And people have to be accountable regardless if it's civilly, criminally, or if it's, you know, me not doing something I said I was supposed to do. There has to be accountability. I think a big thing in my courtroom is your word. I I talk to people. I talk to the defendants and the criminal matters, the kids in the family court matters, or or the moms or dads or grandmothers or significant others. This is what I expect. This is what we're doing. This is what I expect. And then I go one step further and I say, well, and here are the ramifications if you don't. If you come back, and, and I had a young, young gentleman up here before me the other day, and I said, look it, we're going to give probation a try. We're going to do this, I guess, because you're going to be able, because if you place somebody on probation in this particular fact pattern, um, they're going to get services that they desperately need. But if you don't follow through, there's no second third bite. This is it. You right. need to go to school. You need to go t- take your counseling seriously. You need to report to probation. And the, you're giving me your word you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yes, sir. And I said, and I'm going to give you my word. I'm going to follow this recommendation because you gave me your word. So it, it's, we give each other our words. They come in on a violation Unfortunately, those that do come in on a violation know what the next step is. Right. They're ready. They're, they've already said their they goodbyes. They've, they've already said it. Because yeah. And those people, those kids or adults or whatever, they come back, they know it. Yeah. I, I feel there's like very little argument. There's, very, there's no argument. I, I, there's no place to be outrageously emotional in a courtroom. I mean, this, we got to just maintain our composures. Right. Um, but the families know it. Everyone knows it. And I explained to them. And I like to tell them. Because I know respect is a big thing. Uh, I believe in it. I, I don't. I tell them, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to you. I'm just explaining. I want you to know what happens. I don't have to threaten anybody. I don't have to. That's not my job. And, and I, nor do I even like doing that. But I just. I'm trying to explain to you what would happen next. Right. And in certain situations, you're probably trying to help them get but, on a good path. And I'm sure that you come across people who probably fight you on it because they want to fight. Yeah. And you know, and I don't want to speak for you, Judge, but it's also respect for the people who do follow through, who you give them a chance. Right. And oh, we they, celebrate that. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. They make a difference. That. But in if, their if life. they go out there and change and make the, do what they promise to do to you, and the guy who doesn't gets the same outcome, that's not fair to the people who work really hard. Right. Absolutely. And, and we celebrate successes. Absolutely. I got a couple more here. Law students. We, we have some following from some law students, kids that are really eager to become lawyers. You hired a bunch of lawyers when you were in Managing private partner, practice. Absolutely. You have young lawyers who appear in front of you, and you can, some of these kids, I call them kids now, I don't know. <laughs> young lawyers, uh, some of the young lawyers are incredibly good. So I'll say Joe Plukas, he was, a, he's a little younger than me, but I was a more experienced attorney. He comes out of law school. His first day, he's an incredible attorney. His father's a very good lawyer. He's Mm -hmm. been raised uh, through the system. But what advice would you give to law students to say, hey, you want to be a good lawyer someday? This is a process. You're not going to be. Most people are very talented. 
and some of them get there and some of them don't. What, what would you say to a law student who wants to be a good lawyer someday? One, as you know, law school doesn't teach you how to practice law. Law school teaches you and educates you how to find the answers to things. And that's so important. And that is important in, in, in carrying on their, their job, their diligence for the client. A um, couple of suggestions. One, know your case. I mean, it's a simple one, but you'd be surprised. Now, particularly when it's time for trial, but you have to instill in your client that you know the issues that they're confronted with. You know, it's far too often do we see lawyers in the courtroom, you know, talking to their client. Well, talk to them beforehand or her beforehand. Spend a minute. It doesn't have to be a lot of time, but spend a few minutes. Um, second, observe, observe trials. Uh, Mock trial is very important, very effective, and, and the students that are participating in that are, you know, blow my socks away. Uh, every time I hear them year after year, it's just, wow. Uh, but there's no substitute for actual real-life court trial time. Um, so I would observe. Uh, when I first started practicing, Ray Pauley came in my office and said, he called me Jamie, he goes, Jamie, there's a big battle down in the courthouse. Is yes, get your notepad and go watch. And Ray Polly was a great trial lawyer, as is, was Brian. I was very fortunate. Brian Barney was, and is. But Jamie, you got to go watch him. So I said, okay. I went down and watched him. It was Ange Faraci from Faraci Lang, and then fast forward about fifteen years, my future partner Lou Demanda from Chamberlain Demanda, Louis Demanda, uh, Louis Louis Mr. Demanda, Lou Demanda was. Uh, Insurance defense, Mr. Faraci was in personal injury. And just the eloquence of their questions, their, their, it was a flow, it was poetry, to be honest with you, how the flow of, they had, first of all, the two of them had, you could tell, met for days before. They had all the exhibits marked, they had everything ready, and it was just overwhelming to watch them. And there were more cases probably tried back then. Yeah. Uh, and Faraci, he probably tried 100 cases. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, or more. And that, that was nothing. I think, that, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think there was a, I mean, this is going back 30 years, but less active involvement of the bench at that point. It was, you know, we had a pretrial conference. Here's your scheduling order. Motion date, trial date, C on that trial date. Right. Now the courts tend to get bogged down with more of the minutia in the middle because of this. Great thing we all talk about is standard and goals. Yeah. Uh, you don't even want to touch that one, do you? <laughs> you don't want to even touch that. I, go I, ahead. I, you want? Because I'll say something about it. Yeah, go standard ahead. Standard and goals, everyone, is just a number that was is, is in mind that a case should take a certain amount of time to, from start to finish. And when you get close to the time that was picked for this particular case, to go from start to finish, um, everyone starts getting reports, starts getting emails, and it's almost like moving, artificially moving it forward in a time, and that's when the judge gets a little more involved in the case than allowing the lawyers to do their job. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm just saying certain cases, it works better for than in others. For example, let's talk about family law cases. Family law cases... Certainly, we should have guidelines. I agree with that. 
and we should keep it on the forefront. Uh, way too, when I started practicing matrimonials, matrimonial cases, that were, they were fill-ins. In other words, you know, Mr. King has got a very successful personal injury practice. His personal injury case settled, you'd get the phone call, you're starting tomorrow morning for trial. That's how they did the matrimonials, which is kind of crazy, yeah. I'll say it, because <laughs> there's nothing more complex than a matrimonial case, because you have, from the number of issues involved, uh, you have whether or not there were grounds back then for the divorce, if there was custody, then support, tax consequences, tax impaction, business valuations. So one case could have... Custody of children. Custody of children. Right. You could have 50, 60 different issues that were in dispute. You would hope not. But so to, to put a standard and goals on that type of case is, is very difficult. I think the idea is people's cases should move through the system. Mm -hmm. The idea of standards and goals is good. When you're the case that gets moved for a reason, some cases have to be delayed. And our experience is if, you, if you're a good lawyer and you explain it, the judges can deal with standards and goals. Oh, they, they know how to, but... Um, so like maybe criminal isn't the best, like standards and goals isn't always best for criminal, but maybe matrimonial. Maybe it's just depending on the t case type. Well, I, would, I, I don't disagree with you. You're, you're, you're Point on. I'd flip it though. I mean, criminal, because by the time it comes to a court proceeding, the crime has already been, alleged crime has already been committed. So you have an arraignment, you have to just get the information together, depending on what the information is, depending on what the crime is. I mean, right. either, either defendant took the bike or didn't take the bike, and was a bike taken, and do we have the bike? And so, as opposed to a matrimonial, because the other part on the matrimonial that you cannot forget is the emotional aspects. Right. right. And you know what? You may be happy about this pending divorce, and the other party may be devastated. Devastated, yes. I so I'm like not going to push that person that's situation. devastated. Sorry. The, uh, so you, you talked about, I, I started with the law students, and then you have these lawyers that come in front of you, you, you know, younger lawyers maybe. Mm -hmm. And what advice would you give to the lawyers who appear in front of you who are getting started out? Like, how do you make... We all care. All the lawyers want to make a good appearance in whether it's this courthouse or any other courthouse, right? Your reputation as a lawyer is very valuable and important. But you've met hundreds or thousands of lawyers. What are the things that you can notice from attorneys who appear in your courtroom? How well they know their case. Okay, they don't have to know every aspect of every issue. Okay, but they know that there's an issue. Um, you know, the best advice I can give to young lawyers that are practicing now, uh, and this is across the board, it doesn't have to be my court, it's all the courts, um, and to law students, you got to get to know your clients too. You know, and, I, and, and we're lucky here for, for the, we're lucky because, you know, there's a lot of places, the client looks as a dollar sign to the lawyer from the business standpoint. And it, to some degree it has to be because you're running a business. But you, if you get to know your clients and you can speak to them, you don't have to socially know them, but know their facts, know their issues, that that's tremendous help to them and to the court as well. How about, and this is maybe a more personal opinion, some attorneys try to be friendly with other attorneys. Some are very aggressive towards the other attorneys. What are you expecting of your attorneys being able to work together or not work together? I don't know if you get the question, but the... 
there's the softer side of practicing law, and that affects the judges, and the, it, the judges affect us as attorneys. Well, if you can't be professional and, and congenial with, with your uh, lawyer, then don't practice law. You have to. Because you know what you forget, and you know this from all the years of your experience. If you're not, that shoe's going to be on the foot someday. So you have to be able to communicate professionally. I don't care if you don't like each other. I don't care if you go out to dinner with each other every night of the week and you're best of friends. If you focus on what's important for your client and then focus on what the law is, know those things and be able to present it efficiently to the court, that's, that's a darn good lawyer and that's a darn good day for that for those both of those parties. But you have to be congenial. You have to be able to talk, pick up the phone before you go to court. Call the other lawyer. What, what, what's going on? What, do you have anything new? What can we do? What can we present? I would always, and this is going back to the days I practiced, I would try to start out with, what can we agree on today? Let's see if there's a commonality that we can build from that. I like that. I mean, this, this is excellent advice for yeah. anybody who's listening. This is, this is really top Good advice. Well, I mean, for life, that's, <laughs> really. That's, thank you. This is what you get after 30 years, and, and you don't maybe go get off that. easy on that 30 years. Well, well, I'm, I'm trying kid. to make I'm you kidding. look at that. Around about. Very experienced jurist. Is what I, uh, and it just happens one day, my friend. You just wake up, and it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, uh, one day your hair turns white. Yeah, oh, know, my God. I know. I'm going to be in my 20s forever, so yeah. I don't know what you're Amen to that. <laughs> Amen to that. Um, but, yeah, that's I think, is... The best fight. Even if you don't like the other lawyer, pick up the phone and call him or her and just say, hey. It's our background when we start out was in criminal. And the criminal, there's winning and losing on both sides, and you see the same lawyers over and over. And I think it's pretty collegial right. practice. When we went to civil, we started doing civil 10 years ago, and you get lawyers from all over the New York State, especially the defense lawyers. There's some aggressive, aggressive people. I don't know, what the heck is this about? And, uh, We've got better at it, but at first it was very shocking to me that that was not the way it was. We're fortunate, particularly in upstate New York, in our district and in our neighboring districts, um, that we, we do have a high level of professionalism and a high level of legitimate care for not only the clients, but for the practice of law and the respect for each other. Yes, that's not everywhere. That's not everywhere. Yeah. I, I we get lawyers from New York City go against sometimes, and I'm always like, oh, God. We, another guy from New York City wants to come up here and defend cases. This is not going to be fun. Uh, it's usually not that successful either. No. I liked the advice about for law students going and watching trials in, in live, in real time, um, just based off of also getting, maybe finding other people's styles mm -hmm. and going like, off of that, if some are more aggressive or some have a softer tone, is is that how they want to work and be? Like my cousin is going to law school in Buffalo right now, good. and Very I good. yeah, and I think I'm gonna suggest that he goes and does what you just suggested because he has more of an aggressive approach, and I advise him. I'm like, uh, you might want to like know your audience, not just have a one track like mindset of how you're going to handle everything. So I think it would benefit I mean, let's to be go honest. in and just kind of see how other people's personalities work and in different types of courtrooms with different judges and see just overall how the process works. 
there is no, there's nothing wrong with being aggressive. There's nothing wrong with being argumentative. That's your job. You represent your client. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, know your audience. That yeah. may not go over well with a particular judge or, for that matter, a jury. Right. Um, now, the jury, you're going to not know your audience. You actually pick the jury. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's always... There's a style, and, There's a, a style and a tone and an to the room. Yeah. And you're going to have to develop that over time. I mean, you know, you're going to have to develop that over time. Uh, but And you do that by observing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's, like, like you know, Mr. King here, when he practiced the criminal, he was a great criminal defense lawyer. Um, you know, he's right up there with John Speranza, who was an eloquent, and still is. He's a great criminal defense attorney. And, and even though I, at that point, I never practiced criminal, I went to go watch him just to... Amazed yeah. at how he talks and, and, and he interacts with jurors and and there's a style to it. There's a, a panache that um, develops over time. And no one would ever say oh. Mr. Speranza wasn't oh, aggressive because he could be. Oh, very, very aggressive. Thank you very much. One of the great compliments. I mean, John Speranza, we love John Speranza. And, his, uh, and when you're talking about some of these things, you're talking about lawyers. I mean, obviously, John just pops in your head. I oh, mean, absolutely. The most skilled, one of the most skilled attorney, and I think you could give him, a, he's a criminal defense lawyer, he could try a civil case tomorrow, he could try a matrimonial, uh, and, and just thinking about the law students and the other lawyers, I guess what I would say is, what you're saying, but my version of that is, it's really about the evidence. If a good lawyer is trying cases based on the evidence, and what is your evidence? How are you going to use your evidence? How does the evidence tell the story? And if you control the evidence, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. The uh, and so we've transitioned from criminal practice to personal injury practice. We're doing mass tort practice now, campus cases, and and I meet these lawyers from all over the country. We go to these conferences, and they say, "How do you know this?" Uh, I, I don't necessarily know everything about the process, but what I do know is there's elements to an indictment. There's elements to a complaint, and if you have the evidence. Doesn't matter what the other, what the other lawyer does or says, as long as you can control the facts, you control your client, you're going to be okay. And that's, I think, allows the best lawyers to transition a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's interesting what you said about watching trials. The best lawyers, they're the ones who like to watch the other trials. And you're always like, what's John Speranza in here doing watching my trial? He, I remember we were yeah. doing a trial. Um, Christy and I did a trial. Um, Judge, Judge Katie Carley, and we did a trial together, co-counsel, and we're sitting there, we're trying this case, and uh, we look out, and John Speranza is sitting there, James Noble is sitting there, and I'm like, the heck are they watching our trial for? These are, and those are, they just want to see a little of this, or a little of that, or a little of the cross, or how you're doing your expert, and they don't, the, the good guys, they don't forget that stuff. No, you're right, you're right. Oh. I just think it's really cool that a lot of attorneys have different personalities, and yet they're all incredibly successful. It's just, it's really, yeah. know, it's fun to watch. Yeah, and I think that was the best advice I ever got from any boss yeah. was you got to be yourself. You know, we mm -hmm. can, there are certain things that we can teach you, skills, abilities, facts, whatever, but you also, you can't change who you are, and you can't do it like I do. I, I, if I was going to be a judge, I wouldn't be a judge like you, and we probably wouldn't litigate the case exactly the same way if there would be some commonality of practice, but mm -hmm. it's just, um, 
as long as yeah. we get to a fair and just resolution right. or, or yeah. decision, that's exactly. all. That's all that matters. Yes. Uh, what year so, is your uh, cousin? Did you say? I think this is his first year. First year. Yes. Yeah, I think he will be a great attorney. He has it. He's very smart. It's just. Is he from here? From he, Rochester? Yeah, he or went to Gates. Okay. So. Ask them next You'll time you see, see him. One day. <laughs> yeah. Ask them next time you see him if they still give quarters out. I remember okay. my remember that first day of law school, and then you got my I'll never forget my professor Harry Gurla, tort class. My first class Monday morning nine a.m. was torts, and he comes in there and he has a you know it was a big auditorium and list of all the people and it takes ten minutes to take attendance. But yeah. the first day he did, and then he slammed everything shut and said class is over because. I have to get more quarters for you all to call your parents and ask you to come pick you up because you're not going to make it out of law school. <laughs> and we all laughed because we were all expecting that. But I wonder if they still do that. Yeah, I wonder um, if some people use the quarter. <laughs> I don't even know if they have pay phones anymore, so I don't no. know what you're going to do with the quarter. Pick up your cell phone. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, you want to talk about the district at large? So Supreme Court's a big area. Yeah, I mean, Supreme Court we, is... We should talk about that a little bit. It's a huge geographic area. I'm mm-hmm. from... I'm part... I grew up in Wayne County. Right. I know you uh, So... Part of the seventh JD, but not part of Monroe County Court, obviously. So, I, you grew up in the city, but you will call, if you're elected, which we all expect that you will be. Well, you're, that's the, kind, thank you. The geographic area. Talk about the district at large a little bit. All right, sure. The district is a, a population of a little over 1.2 million, closer to 1.3 million in total population. It's made up of eight counties. At Cayuga County, uh, was probably one of the counties furthest to our east. It goes Cayuga, Monroe, Livingston, um, Ontario, Seneca, Steuben, Yates, and Wayne County. Pretty I got good. them right. I got yeah. those all yeah. eights, right? Yeah. You got yeah. them all. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just, it's, good. Uh, it's a great district. Um, because I've been you know, an acting Supreme Court judge, I've been able to cycle through a lot of those districts and those courts. And more importantly, as a private practice attorney, I practiced for 25 years, as we've talked about, I've tried cases in all from, from Penyan, which is the county seat in Yates County, to Bath, the Steuben County, Geneseo, Livingston, Lyons, Wayne, Auburn, Cayuga. I've tried cases in all these counties, Waterloo, Seneca, um, and, and they're great people. Uh, everyone has the common interest. You know, I've gone since January. I've been in the race since January. Uh, I've put out about 35,000 miles on my car since January up till last night uh, when I went to a meeting in Livingston County. But the common theme behind everyone wants to see justice uh, in your decisions. doesn't matter if you live in Rochester, New York, or if you live in uh, um, Nunday in Livingston County. Uh, they want to see fairness, respect. And they want to see accountability for actions. That's a common thread no matter where you live. Uh, and so that's interesting, and it's great uh, to meet all these people. So I'm buddies with Judge Dollinger, Mike Dollinger, and he says, you know, the one thing. Great judge. Uh, the, great guy, too. The, the one thing that all judges have in common, they got the most votes. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little about your campaign. I mean, this is a, this is a huge commitment for you. It's, I'm sure you considered running even well before you announced it's a year or a year and a half of your oh, it's life. A, yeah, it's a year. But people don't, I've been involved in mm-hmm. going to political fundraiser. I, I know a little bit, but most people don't understand what it takes to run for New York State Supreme Court. Just explain to them, what's your last year been like trying to get elected? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's been fun. It's 
it's been exhausting, uh, it's never ending. Because you want to meet and hit as many people as you can to give them information. You see, we, we can't, as a judicial candidate, you can't talk about issues. Uh, you can only talk about um, expertise and experience, educational background, and, and who you are. And, and so everywhere you go, you got to sort of open yourself up to the people so they can learn something about you uh, and then make a, a proper decision. You know, this election, there's, it started off in January, for me. Uh, there was only one seat open at that point. There was one seat, a good good friend of mine and, and, and colleague, Joanne Winslow, is she's in the appellate division. She's retiring. She's not seeking re-election. So that's when I, I offered myself uh, as this goal. And I was the only one out there. I was the only one out there for a very long time, but that didn't stop. You know, I went and met people. I went to different committee meetings. Uh, and there's a lot going on in the eight counties. I was at the Ovid Strawberry Festival, the Interlaken Parade, um, you know, down in Cohocton, Wayland. Uh, but the opportunity just to meet people and talk about it, because people are, they want to be engaging. They want to understand. They want to learn. Um, so that's been fun. That's just been so fulfilling, nothing else. It's just been fulfilling to be able to, to share that with everyone. And then they like the, you know, your background. Uh, so it's just, but I also work all day. I mean, a lot of People can take the time off to actually campaign um, or, you know, for, for, for our, our, our assembly people and our senatorial people, you know, they're, they're, they're every day, their five day a week commitment ends in June and they have that time. I, I no way was, I haven't taken any time off um, because of the campaign. I, I've, because I don't think it's fair to the litigants that appear before me. We do have a very busy court, as you talked about, and you know, cases are scheduled now or you know, six, seven weeks away. I, I, I don't have the heart to stop that to go do something for the, my betterment. Right. So um, we're, we're on kind of the lunch yeah. hour right now. I know we were talking today. I got these cases on this morning. I had a trial yesterday. I got to make sure we're done so we can get back, and I got four cases on this afternoon. Right. That's, the, that's an example. Good. Yeah. That's, I'm sorry I'm long-winded. Yeah. That, that's an example of... So I, you know, I work every day. So yeah. we do this all at nighttime. Yeah, and I know. You're I haven't sure. been home earlier than nine, ten right. o'clock right. since wow. January. You're right. Uh, event, whatever, apple blossom event. That was great. This, you're at this event. You're, I know every night there's another. You're driving to Bath. You're driving to Camp Bell, New York. You're driving to. Well, and some nights there's two or three. Richmond, so, yeah. So we're, we're we're hitting, you know, an appearance in in Auburn, then. Uh, then shooting over to uh, Mount Morris for something, and then you know stopping in uh, Sodus for another one, and then you get home. Yeah. So it's it's fun, but in in the end of June, or they did add another seat. Uh, that that other seat now there's two seats. There's four candidates running, uh, and there's two seats. Uh, we say running mate because that's how people understand it. Mm -hmm. But uh, um, you know my friend from Yates County, Jason Cook, is running for the other seat. And there's a couple of Democrat uh, challengers as well. Yes, sir. So, so we're Jim uh, on a Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, Bree, what uh, you got? A couple yeah, uh, we'll finish just, up. Yeah, we'll just round it out. Um, if anyone is looking to get more information about you, where should they go? They can go to judgevazana.com. Okay. Just judgevazana. I think you're on social media. Yep. Um, Twitter. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Not TikTok. No, not TikTok. <laughs> 
Instagram, Facebook, as well as uh, LinkedIn. We have a TikTok. You should look at Bob's TikTok if you haven't. Oh, <laughs> we, could, we could put him on the TikTok. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. I mean, just, again, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk a little bit about my philosophies, my thoughts, my beliefs. Uh, I'm very passionate about uh, this election. I'm very passionate about being a judge. I, I, I want to make a difference in, in people's lives, and, and that's the only thing that's ever really motivated me. So it's uh, Jim Vizana. He's running for New York State Supreme Court here in our district. Born and raised in Rochester, very experienced in the the entire district as an attorney and a judge. I mean, any final final thoughts you want to uh, leave our folks with? Just get out and vote. Your voice needs to be heard. Uh, I would love for you. I would appreciate and be very thankful for your vote. But you got to get out and vote now more than ever. We need to have our voices heard, um, regardless of who you vote for. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, beautiful.